Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Welcome in listeners to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast where we're talking everything college hoops. I want to say thank you to Blog Talk Radio for powering us up. Thanks to Bell Jar for bringing us in and out. Could have been anywhere else in the dial. He chose to be here with us, Mike and Gus, and we appreciate that. Mike, welcome in. It seems like we got a good topic to talk about today. We're talking about practice. In fact, one of my daughter's spelling words for third grade tomorrow, Gus, is practice. That is actually correct. And so I, I meant to do this, but I ran out of time. I was going to show the Allen Iverson video because if you put up the words below it, they spell practice. And he says it so many times. I thought it would be a great teaching point. But she went to bed. I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Fair, fair enough. Um, I don't know if that um, use of practice would help actually help her on the spelling test. <laughs> I think you use it as a noun, verb, and adjective on the sixth Correct. speech. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, he, he's very, very creative. <laughs> Almost wordsmith-like. <laughs> So, uh, listeners, we're going to give you a couple of talking points about what's going on in practice because there's no games that are starting yet. There's no, like, a championships classic. There's a couple of uh, things that, you know, we can pay attention to. But really, we're just talking about practice. We're happy our sport has begun officially on the calendar. But at the same time, we're still talking about practice. Hey, Gus, and before we get to our main part, I do have a few news and notes here. It's so exciting to be back in the season, or at least close enough to the season, that we have college basketball uh, news and notes. Yesterday, Gus, Wednesday, marked the first official practice of the 2018-2019 Kansas basketball season. According to Kansas' Bill Self, he thought it was just a basic session. You know, didn't want to get too deep there, Billy. You know, coming off the Final Four, he's got a little swag in his step, if you will. Uh, the recent NCAA rules dictate that a team's first practice can be held 42 days ahead of their first game. Why 42, Gus? I have no idea. Uh, and initially, when Self did the math, he uh, from the really quick game that's coming up here before we know it, the Michigan State game at the Champions Classic in Indianapolis, he right. thought it was Friday, September 28th. However, he was off by two days. So technically, Jayhawks could have started on Tuesday, but Self gave him that day off. So, uh, Gus, what we got from this is a couple things. Number one, Bill Self didn't count the number of days right. I mean, can you give me a softball for the, for the rest? Um, of the- h- how about this? Isn't everybody like totally on like the uh, you know everybody's paying attention to the metrics? How about we just pay attention to like the generics? Why don't we just pay attention to like no, number of days and like number of shots? How's that sound? Well, what will get the fans off his back, and this is your area, not mine. Uh, Friday is late night at the Fog. Okay, and, and two chains is re- is actually I, performing. I don't know who that is. I have no idea. All, all, all is forgiven. <laughs> all is forgiven in the Fog. That sounds just about right. Uh, it will be off the chain with two chains there, no doubt. I've I, I, DMX. Anybody? Okay, moving on. <laughs> Uh, Shimori Pons put out on social media that Mustafa Heron was cleared by the NCA. We don't have any official word from the NCA, but we have Shimori Pons putting it out on Instagram. What does that mean to you, Gus? I guess he is. I mean, I, he would know, wouldn't he? <laughs> you, you would think he would know, but at the same time, like, what do you expect? The NCA always gets trumped on stuff like this. Like, th- are, are you surprised that, like, they're the last ones to know and the last ones to let us know about something as important as Mustafa Heron's eligibility uh, on his uh, transfer to St. John's? That makes perfect sense to me. And also, like, if he got word, I wouldn't be surprised if they're saving it for, like, a, you know, a Friday news dump. So expect to hear that on Friday at 5 o'clock. What you have to do in the day and age of social media is let's say you and I are here and you're calling Mustafa Heron to let him know he's cleared or you're calling Chris Mullen, right? 
I'm sitting here with my finger on the enter key. Okay. So as soon as you hang the phone up, I'm hitting enter because you know it's going to be on social media in two seconds. So <laughs> I don't get it. Moving on. There's going to be a secret scrimmage between Gonzaga and Michigan State. Can we get to this and, and, and broadcast from this? Is that possible? Uh, I, I'd love to see that. I mean, that's uh, you, you hope like some of these secret scrimmages are are like legit and the teams get something out of it and they're going to not like not each one of them doesn't play a cupcake. This sounds like uh, something you'd like to get your eyes on without question. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know like the secret password, like knock on the door. What's the password? The password is Hachimura. Like, I'd love to be able to do that to get into that game. That'd be fantastic. Uh, I like that these teams are going to challenge themselves and put themselves up against the talent that is in their, I, I don't know, in their ranking wheelhouse. That, does that make sense? Yeah. The password is going to be Hachimura. It's also going to be traveling for Nick Ward. I think Michigan State gets pounded <laughs> in this game. Okay, I think I'm so too. Yeah. very down on Michigan State. And, of course, we're very up on Gonzaga. Carson Edwards named Blue Ribbon Yearbook Preseason National Player of the Year. I support it. I assume you do as well. Uh, listen, the Blue Ribbon is the Bible. So if they're going to support Carson Edwards for National Player of the Year, I have no problem with him being in that chatter, him being in that conversation, him getting some of that pub, and of course he also receiving some first-team All-America votes. I think that makes complete sense. This award usually goes to some sort of upperclassman. In very rare occasions, think like Durant. Uh, I'm trying to think who else might have won it as a freshman, maybe uh, – I'm trying to think who else, but it usually goes to an upperclassman, so that makes sense with Edwards in that situation. Kids a winner. NBC Sports released their All-American teams. Here we go. Let's go. Mm. You react first. I'll go second. First team, NBC Sports All-Americans this year. R.J. Barrett, Carson Edwards, Rory Hashimura, Diedrich Lawson, Luke May. Okay, I think that makes sense. Uh, I think you have to put Barrett there. He's gotten so much pub and so much chatter as being the most talented player in the country. We just talked about Edwards. That makes sense. I think you have to put a Gonzaga guy on there at some point. I think Rui, everybody expects him to have this blow-up year where he averages 20. Uh, Diedrich Lawson makes sense. Uh, he fills up the stat sheet in really unique ways. And I think if you're putting an All-American team together, whether it be first, second, or third team, I think you have to include Luke May there. So first is fine with me. All right, R.J. Barrett, sure. I'm not sure if he's better than Zion Williamson. I think one of them will get it. That's fine. Carson Edwards yep. next. Rory Hashimura next. Diedrich Lawson I like. Mm. I don't like him on first team. He's transfer. I get that. I'm not sure if I'm ready just to give them a third consecutive All-American-like player. He may be second or third for me. I think he's in the mix. And, folks, if Luke May wasn't first team last year, why is he going to be first team this year? I, I don't. I don't think Luke May gives the impact of a first-team All-American. I agree with you, Gus. I think he's somewhere in the mix on first, second, and third. Somewhere, yeah. but I'm not going to put him first. I don't think he quite has that impact. Okay, I think he was a little disappointing last year, to be honest. And we're still mm. living off the shot against Kentucky. Just my opinion. Second team: Marcus Howard, Tyus Battle, Caleb Martin, Grant Williams, Zion Williamson. Go. I think that this team is interesting. Because you have a knockdown shooter, volume shooter, Marcus Howard. He's one, He put up 52 points last year against Providence. I have no problem if you include him anywhere on All-America team. He is going to put up ma- massive numbers, shoot it from a high percentage from three. That makes sense. You hope Marquette is valid and, and, and viable in the Big East, battling for a top three, top four spot. That makes sense. Tyus Battle. I think you're a little bit higher on him than I am, but... He's unbelievably unique in this regard. They play at such a slow pace, and he has such a high usage rate. 
that that combination of value is really should attach to Tyus Battle because he is honestly one of the most valuable players in the country because of the impact he has on the game, scoring points, board, and assisting in such a low possession game the way that Syracuse plays. I get that. Caleb Martin, I think you have to put a Nevada player somewhere on there. I'd maybe lean more Cody than Caleb. That makes sense to me. Grant Williams, he was amazing last year, SEC Player of the Year. I also think you have to put him somewhere on there. And Zion is just, he's just, you know, he is an absolute highlight show waiting to happen. Marcus Howard, fine. I think he's going to shoot it and could be real flammable, could have a much poorer man's Trey Young impact this year. Sure. But I think he'll be great. The I'm comparison. a Tyus Battle fan, but let's settle down with Tyus Battle on second team All-America. Okay? I, I'm a Tyus Battle fan. Don't get me wrong, but second team is a little rich for my blood. Caleb Martin's going to be on first team. One of the Martin brothers is going to be on first team. Enough. They're my number one team. So it's insulting to see a Nevada player on second team to me. Grant, right. <laughs> Grant Williams of Tennessee is the SEC player of the year. I'm fine with that. Zion Williamson, I don't know if you're going to have a Duke player on first and second team. I think one of those two guys will be on first or second team. It's hard for me to see first and second. You know, just a little rich for me. Third team, Tremont Waters, Shamori Ponds, Eric Pascal, DeAndre Hunter, Ethan Happ. <laughs> how how vanilla is this team for oh, you? You're so, blo- you're so blah, blah. I'm going to crush this team. Go ahead. All right, number one, I think we both think that Tremont Waters needs to be somewhere yes. in this lineup, right? Like, no doubt. I, I, I think if you're arguing one of the second team guys, I think – Waters is one of those guys that you're going to plug into that second team. That makes perfect sense. Listen, I think Shamori Pons is going to have a gigantic year. I think it will come down to him and Marcus Howard for player of the year in conference. That I think they're both going to average over 22 points a game. The thing with Pons is going to be, can he shoot a little bit better from deep? If he can, then he's going to be borderline unstoppable with his drive ability to get into the lane. Pascal's a little bit cool. He's a little bit of the under-the-radar guy that you don't necessarily expect. And here's why Pascal's interesting on this list. You figure Villanova's going to be decent again. You figure that Villanova's going to be in the running for the Big East. And you figure Villanova needs to have a guy somewhere on one of these teams. Guess what? It might be Pascal. I don't know who it's going to be, but if I was going to predict one Villanova Wildcat player to find his way on a first, second, or third-team All-American, it's definitely going to be Pascal. I think DeAndre Hunter. I think you have to put a UVA guy here somewhere. You know who I might lean? I might lean Ty Jerome over Hunter. And then Ethan Happ. He's going to put up great numbers. He does have that he does have that senior thing going for him. And I think, like we talked about on the previous podcast, his inclusion on this list is simply a double down from last year where people put him on first team or second team or third team. And he was a little underwhelming and the team didn't perform up to expectations. Maybe that script is flipped. And then that love that he was getting spread last year and early on this year is warranted. But I get why you might be a little vanilla on this team in particular. All right, excuse me. All right, let me crack the knuckles there. (laughs) If you're going to do a All-American team, you need to do who you think is going to be All-American. The third-team All-American team are not players we like, not <laughs> players who are fun. They should be players, in my opinion, that have a legitimate chance to be third-team All-American. What type of season would St. John's have to have? Now, listen, if they win the Big East, okay, or they're second in the Big East, Shamori Pons, I love him. Great score. Fantastic. Third team, little much. Tremont Waters, I think LSU is going to have a big year. 
I think Will Wade is a phenomenal coach, and I think LSU has a lot of talent. So because you add all of those things, that adds up to me saying Tremont Waters can make third-team All-American. I don't yes. think Shamori Ponds can, but I'm rooting for him. Eric Pascal is not making third-team All-American. It's pathetic. <laughs> he averaged 10 points and five rebounds. He is not sniffing. There's a better chance of me smelling what you're cooking in your house right now, okay? And I'm like 30 miles away than Eric Pascal sniff, sniffing third-team All-American. That's idiotic. That is, it's late at night. I got to get this article in. I have no idea who I'm pecking. That's what that is. Uh, by, by the way, it's pierogies in case you're wondering. Pierogies, very well. Excellent. I should come over. Yeah. DeAndre Hunter I love. And it's funny, you guys. Oh, so DeAndre Hunter can be third-team All-American, but it's not a big deal that Virginia didn't have him in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. That still is just a catastrophic upset that's a bazillion times worse than Michigan State as the favorite to win the title, losing to Middle Tennessee State, because that was a two-person 15. But DeAndre Hunter, yes, he's that good and can be there. I'm not going to browbeat Ethan Happ, but the Wisconsin being the fifth, maybe fourth best team in the Big Ten does not equate to Ethan Happ since they score 30 a game and he's going to have 12. It does not equate to Ethan Happ getting third-team All-American. I like Ethan Happ. He's a really, really good college basketball player. I don't see the blueprint or the path that he can be a third-team All-American. Okay, so how about this? You made a very valid argument of like who should be on the third team All-America if you're going to put one together, which we will do later on when we get a little bit closer to the season. How about this? Number one, if you're from one of those one of these big power conferences, right, you have to make the tournament. Have to. Like I, th- I feel like that's almost a prerequisite. you got to get in the tournament. You can't be this 20-point game uh, guy that is not equating to wins. So your excellent play has to equate to team success. But let's say you're one of these guys like, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, like, uh, Chris Clemens, how about that, from Campbell. If you have this like phenomenal 30-point-a-game season or something like outrageously, you, you know, and, and how is how is Mike Dom not on one of these teams, by the way? Um, how... Like you have to be that type of special if you're not going to make the tournament and you're not in one of these big uh, big conferences. So I think that's kind of you said pathway or equation. I think that's part of the pathway uh, and part of the equation if you're going to make a, a first, second, or third team. And here's my question: you you know that South Dakota State is going to win. 28 games this year. They're going right. to pound the conference. And Mike Dom is going to have like 25, 28 points per game. That's what he's going to have. And, and, do it, and do it efficiently. He's not just, he's not just going to be like right, correct. He's you know, chucking it up no, 25 no, shots. No, he's absolutely gonna, not. He's shot great percentages his whole career. So at the end of the year, if you had a vote, which God, I wish you did, for the <laughs> All-American team, you, why would you pick 18 point and 10 rebound Ethan Happ from the 8 and 8 Big Ten Wisconsin Badgers over Mike Dom, who may crack the 3,000 point scoring barrier and have one of the best careers in college basketball history. Why? There's no reason unless Wisconsin gets like one or two in the Big Ten and Happ is close to right. one of the Big Ten players of the year. I just don't see the, the, the I don't see the path. That's all I'm saying. The, right, and I think you you nailed the equation there. If Hap is going to have this twenty and ten season or whatever numbers you want to attach to it with his you know great block ratio and his steal percentage, uh, high field goal percentage, so on and so on, 
and that equates to a Wisconsin Badger top three finish in the Big Ten and a tournament invite, now we're talking. That makes sense. If it's a facsimile of what happened uh, the previous season, then I think we're just looking at the exact same thing, and you kind of you you've kind of made your argument there. I think that makes sense. All right, let's get into practice. Take me around here, partner. Take me around. Let's look at some practices you want to see. All right. So what I what we thought we'd do here is just talk about a couple of teams and we like what we'd want to see in practice, and maybe you know think of think of like a fly on the wall in practice, okay? And and what do you think you might see, hear, observe? Uh, uh, take in and then you know put into your brain for later on in the season. And we're going to start with uh, Kansas State. Now, Kansas State, I just want to know in practice, Mike, how many times at a Kansas State practice does the Jayhawk Big 12 conference winning streak get mentioned per practice? Whatever the number is, I think I'll take the over. And do you think that repetitive nature – of that streak getting mentioned creates some sort of chip on the shoulder or do they they eventually become numb to something like that this practice is would be fascinating to watch because Kansas State has scalding hot momentum and mm. i think that most of the people in the country figure that Kansas escaped their potential upset to their 14 conference championships in a row so given that they have a great recruiting class and given that Kansas has so much depth, I think people are overlooking Kansas State. They lost to Loyola Chicago in the Elite Eight, but they hit their stride in the postseason after an up-and-down year. It's fascinating because Weber followed Frank Martin, who followed Huggins. Tough mm-hmm. shoes to fill. Frank totally. Martin goes there and goes NCAAs, then NIT, then Elite Eight, then NCAAs, then NCAAs, Right. And then in comes Weber, who is hearing some rumblings that his job may be in trouble after 2014, 2015, 2015, 2016 season. They are 8 and 10 and 5 and 13 in conference. But they lose in the first round in 2016, 2017, and they actually lost in Weber's first year. And we mm-hmm. watched that game, by the way, to LaSalle, that 4-13 game. We watched that uh, together. That uh, was, I think Garland made that floater, right? It was to, Yeah, Rodriguez was horrific. I think he had zero points that game, whatever. You know, right. It was ridiculous. And then last year, they make the run. They were streaky lifer in Big 12 play. You know I love that. Win two, lose one. Win, uh, win one, lose three, the whole thing. But they did all of that without Dean Wade. Dean Wade is back. They have a lot of guys back, and I think internally they're sitting there in practice talking about we're taking Kansas out this year. Octagon of Dune, we're at least getting a split, and they're very, very confident. I think it's a cocky, confident practice with Bruce Weber having a little swag, a little chest hair coming out of his shirt, okay? No one's taking us for granted, and they're going to ride the momentum from last year's NCAA tournament. I think they're, they're a legit chance to beat Kansas this year. I do. I really do. Do you think – the chemistry that that squad established with that Elite Eight run last year will trump the talent that Kansas has on the floor. Do you think that it's a possible that the chemistry could be greater than Kansas's talent? It's possible if you made me pick right now, and trust me, I'd love to say it is. Okay, you know I'm itching. Right. I'm itching I, I, to do I, I, it. I know which okay. way you'd love to lean. Yes, L- like I'm in withdrawal here. Okay, I'm itching. <laughs> right now, I give the advantage to Kansas. Right now, if you made me pick, I'll take Kansas because I think Self has done so much with with much less than what he has this year. But I think if any team beats him, it's going to be Kansas State. I don't see another team in the Big Twelve doing it, and I I think 
that barring the Northwestern collapse of last year, usually when you're hot, remember Northwestern was battling Gonzaga. There was that goaltend call a couple of years ago. Remember that yeah. whole thing? Yeah, with Zach Collins. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like it, normally that NCAA tournament mojo carries over if you bring a lot of players back. And the only time I really haven't seen is Northwestern. So I believe in Kansas State. Yes, I do. I would love to be at that practice as well. How about if we go to Cincinnati's practice? Down and not- screen, catch the ball. Sorry. Good. <laughs> Now, the reason I want to go to Cincinnati's practice is I just want to hit a weight room session with those guys. The Bearcats are tough. They're fit. They're just grown man strong. So even though we might, you know, pick at them for their offensive deficiencies and their uh, pace of play on the offensive end and, you know, the the upset versus Nevada uh, in the second round, in the second half, I still want to go to a Cincy practice and I'd love to see these guys hit the weight room and then do some dynamic stretching and do some core work. Like I'd love to see that and go through that with them because to be honest, that just sounds like it would be impossibly hard because you look at that lineup up and down. Those guys are put together. Mike, you with me on joining the Cincinnati weight room session? Oh, for sure. And I love Mick Cronin. The reason I do is I love people that are real. And he believes that if you win, you win by shooting free throws, getting the free throw line, and limiting hmm. your turnovers. He goes all out to make sure that that's part of what he does. He just doesn't do lip service to it. He puts players and recruits players that fit that system. He hates bad fouls. He doesn't want turnovers. And he wants you to know where you're supposed to be on the court. The problem is the NCA with their rule changes has really favored mm-hmm. offense. He's got to start getting some dynamic scores and finding them. Correct. And if they don't play defense, while that doesn't, while that hurts his philosophy, it allows them to make a run. Gus, that bracket set up last year for them to make a final four. It really sure did. did. Tennessee, Nevada, Loyola, Chicago, Kansas State. That's what you're going to get, Mick. That's as good as you're going to get. And you blew a lead to Nevada and you blew it because people couldn't make baskets when they needed to make them. And obviously your defense, I guess, let you down. So I'm fine with his tenants. I'm fine with what he believes. But you have to give a little more freedom to your offensive scores, Mick, if you want to make a run in the tournament. You're going to be solid. I admire what you do. I love your consistency. But last year would leave a sour taste in my mouth if I'm a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. Do you, how about this? One comparison here, and we'll get to UVA in a second. Do you feel like both of those teams, both of those programs, both of those squads will go back and revisit and tweak some of their philosophies, some of their approaches, and some of their sets to battle that? Or do you think they're going to double down and say, nope, this is our system, and this is the way that we're going to do things? Like, if you were, if you were going to predict, what do you Mick think? Mick Cronin's tripling down. He's not changing. His wow. attitude is process over results. That's what he's saying. This is what we do. We were number two seed last year, and we had horrific luck against Nevada. That's what he's going to say. Yeah. But I, I, okay. I just think, yeah, if Kane Broom doesn't start, I mean, just crazy. We talked about this, but I'm just saying. Right, right, right. I, I agree. He could be one of those offensive initiators that you want to give more freedom. So I'm totally with you on that. Uh, okay. How about we go to the Big East? How about if we step into the national champions practice? We know that there's going to be great player development. We know that there's going to be a great attention to detail. We know that they're going to be very high IQ players. They're going to make great decisions. But really what I want to see at the Villanova practice is I want to see the three-point shooting, freedom, and focus. 
I want to see threes off the catch. I want to see threes off the dribble. I want to see threes off a screen. I just, I, I would just love to see a session and see how much time and attention they put on the three-point shot at Nova because it was such a priority last year, and it really gave them a leg up on the entire sport last year because they shot the three at such a high level from every position on the floor. It wasn't just one sharpshooter. Like, think of Ray Allen back in the day. It just wasn't one guy doing the job. Everybody they put out on the court at some point could put up the three. So if I were going to a Villanova practice, I'd love to be there for a shooting session, especially a three-point shooting session. Mike, what do you think you'd like to pay attention to at a Nova practice? I saw Jay Wright uh, give clinics uh, a few times, and he believes in giving his players freedom to be offensively creative. You're right, 86.6 points per game last year, that's first in the Big East. 50% field goal percentage, that's first in the Big East. 40.1% is a team three-point percentage, that was second in the Big East. Absolutely true. They have dangerous guys. Spellman was hitting a ton of threes in the NC tournament. That's what he does. I think the shooting drills would be great. I think there'd be a lot of fluidity, a lot of fast breaking, and you'd see some high-level players, and he takes the reins off. I think going from Cincinnati to Villanova would be a fascinating dichotomy in how their practices are run. I think that's a great point. Uh, how about we head down, since we already went to Kansas, it's Kansas State. Let's go to Kansas. How many times early on in practice, after they figured out what day they should go to practice, how many times at practice do you think Coach Self just, like, blows his top? Like, throws the whistle on the floor, maybe, like, tosses the clipboard down to the side when things don't run as smoothly because his team is minus both Devontae Graham and Frank Mason, his two trusted guards from the past combined five years. I think that because he doesn't have that quote-unquote coach on the floor that can help him run things and fix mistakes and cover up miscues from teammates, I bet he gets a little frustrated with how the offense is being run early on in practice, and I can see him getting unbelievably uh, overwhelmed and just, you know, Absolutely just, you know, turning red in the face, yelling at a certain position and saying, we're running this again. Let's go. Whatever, however many times you say he's going to do that, I'll take the over on that number. Yeah, I agree. I, I, he's got to start Charlie Moore. I think that would get his team off to a great start. If he wants to pass the point guard reins on to Quentin Grimes or, or, or pass them on to Devin Dotson, however he wants to do it. I think you do it mid-year. I think he needs to get off to a good start. He needs players to go into the spots and not worry about scoring, and Charlie Moore will do that. 5'11", 170, had the year at Cal. So I agree. Losing Devontae Graham, losing Frank Mason, he's probably pulling his hair out. However, I will point out, Gus, that last year at this time, he was screaming at Billy Preston. And when we talked to Jesse Newell, he said that Preston was frustrating the heck out of the coaching staff over in Europe when they played. So I think it's the same as last year, but I think he needs to develop a point guard. And I don't know if screaming at them is the best move when they're freshmen. So start Charlie Moore, take the safe play, have those kids come off the bench because you don't, it's very hard. We learned that from Coach K last year to hand the point guard reins to a freshman, a five star freshman. So I think Moore is his best option and it will limit his screaming. But if we watch that practice and it was five on five and he had Grimes or Dotson and Moore on the second team, yeah, he's going to be doing a lot of whistleblowing. <laughs> I can totally see that happen. I can see him uh, pulling his hair out was a great phrase. I think that's appropriate. Okay, we'll couple the next two teams together because I think we're, they're facing uh, – I'd love to see both elements – the same element at both practices. How about 
UCF, University of Central Florida. You think anybody is going to score at the rim in practice against Taco Fall now that he's healthy? I can see a lot of balls flying askew all over the court, whether they be deflected, whether he disrupts a shot, or he just like scares somebody because he's standing two feet from the rim. I think that if nothing else, those wings are going to get pretty creative and crafty around the basket, trying to find holes and wedges and seams that they can actually get a ball up on the rim around Taco Fall. I'm glad that he's healthy. I'm glad that he's back. He's an unbelievably unique player in our sport in college basketball, and I want to see him healthy, and I want to see him impact on the defensive end the way that everybody knows that he can. So uh, Central Florida, Taco Fall, deflecting shots everywhere practice in a lot of ways the aac this is their chance this is this is the chance for the aac to sort of break through you have a seven foot seven foot six taco fall and then you have bj taylor coming back who was 16 points per game as the guard six two you have a guard you have a center you have experience you got all the boxes checked so this is their year and taco should be one of should be blocking everybody in practice. He's got to go get it. He's got to go get it again, second and third jump. It would be fascinating to see how they end up structuring the practice with Taco Fall against the second team. That's what I'd like to see. Johnny Dawkins, good luck. B.J. Taylor, Taco Fall, A.J. Davis back also. They made a deep run in the NIT. Let's see what they can bring back this year. So uh, I think similarly to uh, Central Florida, I think they need extra ball boys at the West Virginia practice as well because speaking of balls like on the wrong trajectory, like uh, Kanate is back. And I bet some basketballs are sent like onto the satellite shooting courts by Kanate. Those wing players are going to have to work overtime to get the ball up on the rim at a West Virginia practice as well. Now we know that we talked about like they're limited uh, or, or not limited, but maybe – uncertainty at the guard position but there is definite certainty uh in the post and on the wing for west virginia but i bet they hired some extra ball boys to go collect all those shots that uh kanate deflected all over the practice court so i'm glad that he's back and again he's like the one of the best gifts that we could ever have for a college basketball with his two-handed blocks i want to see what that practice is like because he doesn't have strong guards he doesn't uh, – is he making the big men run? He probably is. But I think he, he's going to have some of the best transitional big men in the country because I don't think Huggy's mm. going to change that much. So it would be fascinating to see them doing rim running, straight rim to straight rim, and get up after it and see how they do it in transition. And I'm sure Kanate will have some incredible blocks in practice. No question. Uh, how about this? How about we head out west? We talked about with Kansas how – it's an issue now that they don't have Devontae Graham and Frank Mason, the trusted guards. You, you mentioned like their backcourt uh, roster uh, limitations or uncertainties. Uh, but how about Cal State Fullerton? How about the Titans? When you have two veteran guards, two guards that have been through the program like Kyle Allman and Khalil Ahmed, come, does the coaching staff even need to do anything? Do they need even to say that much? Or do those two guys kind of run all the drills and get on everybody if they're dogging it? Those two studs must help run the show over there almost every practice for the Titans. I'd love to stick my head in in a Cal State Fullerton practice with two stud senior guards that can help get the job done on the practice floor and on the court at game time. Yeah, this is an overachieving team. Not be, 
they have a lot of talent, but the team that could make a lot of noise at the end of the year. Dedrick Taylor, they gave him time, which was fantastic. He entered his sixth right. he's entering his sixth season this year. He's entered his sixth season this year at Cal State Fullerton after being just ten and thirty eight after three years. He did the CIT two years ago and they were Big West tournament champs last year. Four starters back, you talked about it, Allman and Ahmad. Junior Jackson Rowe returns 12.1 points, 6.7 rebounds. The core is there. This team can be very, very good. They can make some noise. They can get in the tournament. They can win a game, which is something that people sort of don't give them credit for. The Titans are the real deal, and they're going after UC Irvine for the top spot in the Big West. Uh, I think the Big West is really underrated, and I think it's kind of fun out there, but I definitely would love to see a practice with two stud guards like that helping run the practice. And speaking of stud guards, I think this is just like one I'd just like to get the vibe from. I don't even know if I need to see anything here, but you'd love to get like, what's the feel at a Montana Grizzlies practice? The roster is loaded with high transfer guards with something to prove to those high-level programs that they transferred from. So it's almost like it must be like a constant chip on your shoulder. That practice must be so chippy and people be on edge. There must be no lollygagging on any level at a Montana Grizzlies practice. I'd love to see that like atmosphere and get that vibe of what's that like with all of these dogs, like all these guys having a dog in the fight and wanting to prove something to not just their teammates, not just their coaching staff, but to that program that maybe that discarded them or that they left to the wayside. Yeah, great backcourt coming back. Rory and, and O'Guine, you talked about them. They're versatile. They're talented. Montana has been the class of the big sky for quite some time. I would love to see what a Montana practice is like. I think it's blue collar. I think it's hard work. I think it's high intensity. I don't think you ever have to yell at these kids to work hard. I think it's it's a fantastic one to watch. I feel like we would sneak in the back door and it would be a fantastic gym, but it would have that Hickory Husker feel. No messing around. Blue collar, hard work, roll up your sleeves. This would be a great one to watch, an inspiring one that you'd want to bring a high school team to watch. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it would be a no, I think it'd be an all business situation. All business situation, yeah. Yeah, all business situation. I think, um, I, I think we, it'd be remiss if we didn't mention we'd like to go to a Nevada practice. But I think the thing we'd like to pay attention to is like the WWE war that could take place in any rebounding drill between Jordan Caroline and Trey San Thurman. They're both 6'7", 230, like legitimate NFL tight ends in waiting, like kind of. Uh, so I would, I would like be a little scared watching it for just like the greater good and the being of the team. But like, those two guys going at each other, that just sounds dangerous. It's the one of the few practices in which case in which we would be watching off the ball more than maybe watching on the ball. That is so true. Great point. Yeah. Caroline and Thurman, huge. NFL tight end, you mentioned that. Absolutely true. Rico gathers now with the Cowboys from Baylor. That's the type of players these guys can be. Thurman is an ox. It's just another reason why Nevada is my number one team. He can make threes. He made 11 threes in Omaha a couple of years ago. So that's one every two games. So when you're six foot seven, 230 pound behemoth steps out once in a while, that's an issue. Cody's a senior. Caleb's a senior. Caroline's a senior. Lindsey Drew's a senior. Jazz Johnson's over from Portland. He's a junior. Nizre Zuzwa is there. And now you're going to add in Thurman inside. Give me a break. Number one team in the country. End of story. Like that. That's nice. How about? Speaking of like battles in the paint and battles down low, I, I'd also like to just peek in on the Kentucky practice 
Can we take a peek at that Reed Travis PJ Washington matchup down low in the post? Maybe I could see a lot of pushing around, but nobody going anywhere. Travis is six eight, two forty five ish. Washington is six seven, two thirty five ish. Like I could see both of those guys leaning into each other, and neither one of them moving a single inch in either direction. So, Mike, is there anything else at the Kentucky practice you'd like to see besides Travis and Washington push each other around? Yeah, I'd like to see whether the, the point guard, Quade Green, is going to take control and whether he's going to be able to lead this team back to the promised land. I am not high on P.J. Washington. I think P.J. Washington is one of the most overrated players in college basketball. I just I think he's going living off a name only. Reed Travis is not. Reed Travis is very good. He's going to excel. And I really want to see this practice because it would be – one of the few times that Cal actually has a functional big man, more than functional, who can score and do a lot of things, and a quality point guard that's coming back with experience and the five-star recruits. Not just let me take the five-star recruits and throw them out there and wait for Shai Gilders Alexander to come around. So this would be a good one because I think it would be very different if we had seen his other practices with his freshman-dominated mm-hmm. teams, how this team would compare. I, I think that Green and Travis will be the leaders there. I really do. I think I agree. I think it'll be a little bit smoother as well. I, I don't think Cal will have to do as much stopping during practice and coaching in practice. I bet he has a little bit better game flow in practice. That's my guess as well. Uh, how about a, let's go to the Big East for the next practice? We'd like to like be a fly on the wall. I'd love to see any sort of shooting drills with Marquette, where you have Marcus Howard and Hauser pulling up from anywhere. It seems like. They have the freedom to pull any time they are within 30 feet of the basket, maybe even further. So I love that. Uh, I love. I would love to see both of them try to go head to head, like at an end of practice, like shooting game, and just see like how long do they stay there? Like do they they do they stay until somebody misses? Are we here for you know 25 shots? That's what I like to see. I could see like you you told the story of, of Mullen stepping out of the limo at. Um, at basketball camp, uh, five-star basketball camp, and just coming out and hitting 27 of 33s. I can see that happening on a regular basis at a Marquette practice with both Howard and Hauser. Howard and Hauser would be doing in practice what you and I did for many, many years over middle and high school. We called it the walk suitor game. And this would be where one of us would stand underneath the basket, pass the ball out to the other one, who's standing around the three-point line, give or take. And once you pass the ball from under the basket, you run as fast as humanly possible towards that player putting your hands up. I will tell you that what you have to do is get in the mindset that you're actually going to block the shot. And you never do because you're always – but you really think every time – I think maybe once in every few years, one of us got a tip maybe on one of those. I would love to see Howard and Hauser do the walk suitor game. That's what I'd like to see because they'd be tremendous. They'd be lighting it up. You can't pump fake and slide. That's the trick. So, you right. know, Gus the, and the I, catch, Gus and the I, catch are, that game was yeah. You had you had to take the jumper where you got the ball. Right. Like Gus and I right. are as honest as the day is long. So, like I wouldn't lob the ball to Gus to give myself time to recover. Right. That's just the spirit of the game. So right. yeah. Howard and Hauser, true spirits, great shooters, shooting drills, walk suitor game. That's what I want to see them do. I would love to see that. That'd be a great reference, by the way. Uh, you know, open lifting the curtain for the lift, listeners a tiny bit back into our uh, basketball, uh, our basketball blueprint uh, that we grew up with. Uh, how about this? Speaking of advancing the ball and like a team that they could borrow some ideas from, like, do you think UVA 
being at a UVA practice and seeing if they actually advance the ball for some easier buckets. Maybe they work on the diamond outlet drill, or maybe they find that uptick in pace, and, and maybe Coach Bennett will trust his high IQ student athletes to pick and choose easy scores so they don't run into the same situation that we talked about with Cincinnati. Maybe Coach Bennett could steal a couple of ideas from Marquette and let his guys kind of drill it from deep. We know that Ty Jerome has like that type of freedom to kind of shoot it from anywhere and that type of range to do so. But I think I'd like to be at a UVA practice to see if there's an adjustment in the climate and a couple of tweaks to how they're going to operate offensively. The practice I'd like to see for UVA is the one before a game. Tony Bennett is so good. I think he's one of the few coaches in college basketball who actually has his players think about how we're going to guard somebody defensively. What I mean by that, Gus, is Mm. you're not just going to be a man team. You're not just going to be a zone team. You're going to have, you're going to move with purpose on the defensive end. So I'm positive that Tony Bennett tells his players, guys, on this player, when they get screened for, we switch. On this player, when they get screened for, we don't switch. You can't win the ACC and beat North Carolina and Duke on a regular basis with the disparity in talent that he has without doing that. I think most coaches in college, even some of the great ones because they have talent, just roll the balls out and say, we're playing zone. Or maybe they get really nuts and say, okay, guys, on the next possession, switch all screens. I think Tony Bennett switches on certain players as per the scouting report before every game. And I think that is critical as to why they're so good. So I'd love to see the Tony Bennett practice, the game preparation for a battle within conference. I think it would be a huge learning experience. How about this? Do you think that he could apply that attention to detail that you're documenting right there on the offensive end too? I think he's, yes, I think he's going to learn how to do that. Here's one for you as well. I think Tony Bennett can have the same success, maybe not to the same level, but close mm-hmm. that Brad Stevens has had in the NBA because of that type of, of intelligence, basketball IQ. Wow. He doesn't that, yell, that's, right? He's not a yeller. He's not oh. a yeller, right? I think he's a guy who would do a fantastic job. Absolutely. So one of the places that maybe Tony Bennett could steal some offensive ideas from and maybe take some of these sets or quick hitters, I'd love to go to a Marshall practice. How about we go to West Virginia and see what C.J. Burks and John Elmore might be doing? Maybe they're icing those shooting arms after jacking so many threes in practice, multiple shots in a quick manner, because we know that Coach D'Antoni gives those guys freedom on the offensive end you know, at all three levels, from the three-point line, pull-up game, and obviously taking it to the hole and trying to draw some contact and get some easy fouls. I'd love to see the Marshall, like, frantic pace that they play at and see how they manage it and see if they still stay efficient in practice or if it's just like balls kind of flying all over the place because they're trying to play at such a fast pace. But I'd love to see Burks and Elmore do their thing, those two senior guards. I think there's a changing of the guard in Conference USA, and any Dan D'Antoni practice is something I'd like to take a, a look at. After the right. way they finished last year, they're 25 and 11 in Conference USA, 12 and 6. They bring back Elmore and Burks. That's 42 points per game. I think that they would have a different practice than anyone that we saw. I think you have to train these kids to shoot and get up tempo. 
Um, again, a, de- a disparity here. Imagine the difference between going to Virginia and then going to Marshall. I yeah, love what yeah. Marshall's doing. I expect Middle Tennessee State in that conference to take a step back because Kermit Davis isn't there anymore. The Western right. Kentucky Marshall game this this upcoming year is must see TV. Absolutely. Uh, and then I, I, that's why we put those teams back to back just to kind of like juxtapose them and see like, well, one team at, plays at this pace, the other team plays at this frantic pace, of course. Uh, and then I think the last practice, I, I just like to go back out here because you and I went out here on cross country a number of years ago. I'd love to go to a San Francisco Dons practice. And you know what I want to see at them? I want to see Frank Ferrari. I want to see uh, Jordan uh, Rotino. And I want to see uh, Charlie Mylan. I want to see all three of those guys that can shoot it over 37% from three. I just want to see them put up shots and shoot it from the wing and see if they actually get any paint touches or they just jack it from three. I, I would love to see their offensive philosophy with those three great shooters. And by the way, they may be one of the teams with those three shooters that could give the Gonzaga team that we I have at number one, a little run for their money at the W uh, out, out in the West Coast Conference because if they get hot for a half, uh, who knows? They get in a tight game, maybe something happens. So if those three shooters get hot, love to see that in the in the West out in the West Coast. Hashtag basketball narcolepsy. Yep, back to back twenty win seasons for Kyle Smith, first time since the early eighties. They shoot the ball, they chuck it, they're high-flying, they have a fun style to watch, and it works. And you know how we know it works? Because one of the greatest my bookie wins that I had is I went to bed watching St. Mary's after they pounded San Francisco 79-43 two weeks earlier, Gus. That's a 36-point loss, and then they come down as the 15th-ranked team in the country the day after Valentine's Day – I'm getting like eight or nine points at home against San Francisco. The money line, Gus, the win bet paid very handsomely on a nice 70 to 63 win there for the Dons. They are alive and well. It's Gonzaga and it's everyone else. But whether it's BYU, whether it's the overrated St. Mary's, whatever you want, San Francisco is coming. I firmly expect them to be at least third in the West Coast Conference. I think they will finish ahead of BYU or St. Mary's. Probably St. Mary's. And I think there's a chance, outside chance, Gus, they could be second in the conference. That's not crazy, right? That, 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 that can work. Wow. That, I'd still like to see that practice and see the number of threes that those guys put up and the frequency of which those threes are made. That would be absolutely outstanding. Hey, listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. Here's what we're going to ask for you guys to do. Can you please help out the podcast? One way you can help out the podcast is go to your podcast vehicle of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, whatever way you consume the Screen the Screen or College Basketball podcast. Punch in a review. Punch in some stars, maybe five stars. Punch in a review where you type in a couple of comments. Say some nice things about Mike. Say some nice things about the podcast. That would be amazing. Another way you can help out the podcast, give the podcast a follow on Twitter. At SDS Podcast, efficiency of keystrokes, of course. Uh, and, and if you'd like to get in contact with the show, please contact, contact us via email, SDSPodcast at gmail.com. Love to interact with you that way if that's your mode of communication. Uh, Mike, what else do we have to uh, advise the listeners uh, about helping the podcast or anything else we want to touch on? Our Patreon listeners are coming hot and heavy. Things are going very well. They're deciding what beat reporters we're going to start with in our team preview series. Ooh, so right, please right, right. go to Patreon, contribute, 
You can do a $1 level, a $3 level, a $6 level. $3 gets you a shirt. $6 gets you an extra pod each and every week on Saturday. Sometimes it's a vlog. I got a cup of coffee in the morning. Gus is going off giving you great comparisons here, some songs, the whole bit. It's worth it, folks. Besides the pods we're giving you during the week, besides having control of the show, besides getting a t-shirt, you're also getting one extra pod. And during the season, when we're doing two a week, sometimes three a week, and we get to March, we do it every single day, you're getting an extra pod. So take a look at Patreon, support the show, become the board of directors. It's a lot of fun and it's worth it. I like the board of directors angle. We'd like to have some help figuring out what some of our content should be. I think that we can we could use the help. So you know, if you're if you're into that, please provide it. That'd be that'd be great. We'd love to have a, an extra sounding board to to hear what uh, what other teams or what other uh, systems or or programs we should be talking about. Uh, so listeners, enjoy your weekend out there. Mike and I'll catch up with you guys next week. We just want to say thank you again. And uh, cilantro, grazie, grazie, cheers, and arigato. Nothing like that backdoor cover at North Carolina State this year. Can't wait.